0: The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. It's Success Happens on 930 WFMD. Blending business and politics. Success Happens with your host, Jen Charlton.
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Success Happens. It's great, great to be with you again today. And you know, I always love going out to events and having these spontaneous meets where you, you run into somebody and you go, oh, my gosh, I so want to interview you. And I had that happen this week. And uh, so as we're going along and they just closed the application process for submissions submissions for um, running for office. And so right now we have with us today Colt Black, who is running for maryland's congressional district six and it's really nice to meet you and i it was so great to hear you speak the other night about the issues that concern you as a business owner and as somebody who is for the first time becoming politically active is that correct
0: yes this is my first time jen
1: oh wow it's just that's inspiring i mean i sit here every week after week and i tell people you got to get involved if you don't get involved, then stop your complaining. Absolutely. You know. And and look, everybody gets involved in different ways, right? Some people volunteer their time. Some people uh, provide their re- treasures and resources to help in the political process. But whatever our gift and giving is, it's so important to participate. But for somebody to step up and run for office, I just have huge appreciation for you and for all those running left and right and center who are uh, committed to making a difference and in this uh, crazy government that we have so thank you for doing that and you are a funeral director
0: Yes, that's Um, correct. Tell us where your business is located and how long have you been in business? Sure. So I own both Black's Funeral Home as well as the Acacia Society, which is an online cremation and funeral providership, uh, both located in Sibyllisville, Maryland, which is northwest Frederick County.
1: Okay, very good. And when you looked at running for office, what was the thought in your head? I mean, why did you say, I think I want to run for office? What was the thing that triggered you to run?
0: Well, I think it comes down to one simple word, and that's family. Your family, my family, you know, the families of my friends and neighbors in the community. Uh, The reality of it is, you know, I think that the vast majority of folks out there, right, left, or center, um, wants the best for their families. And I think that as a father of three... And a small business owner, um, seeing the rising cost of everything from groceries, fuel, and all other consumer products and the shortages we're facing, um, it's concerning for me, Um, you know, that we're not able to be able to provide for our families in the way that we should be able to. Um, So seeing these rapidly developing issues within our society, um, I felt it necessary to take that step instead of sitting back and complaining and talking about it actually trying to do something about it.
1: kudos that is just awesome and you know the primary is a (laughs) it's becoming more of a blood sport it used to be the general was the worst but the primaries have gotten a little ugly um why do you what about you separates you from the other candidates without you know I, i obviously we don't want to bash them but the point is how are you in your mind the best candidate to provide what maryland's sixth district needs and by the way and let's all remember something his vote his his vote is his vote or her vote is her vote doesn't rat you know if somebody's voting conservative in texas that helps all of us so we we want to keep that in mind so it's not limited to the jurisdiction but why
0: well, I think at the end of the day, what separates me from the pack is I'm more of what you would call a conservatarian, a conservative libertarian. Um, and basically what I mean by that is while I hold some socially conservative values, I also believe in maximum liberty and freedom and the right of choice for the individual citizen. And ultimately, my policymaking and legislative decisions would show that.
1: Okay, so they've mucked around a lot with the districts. Yes. In your mind, in how the help people understand the current (laughs) iteration of the district and how it now uh, you feel you could best serve that total district because it's pretty broad.
0: Yes, sure. So previously, of course, Frederick County here was split into two. We were District 8 and District 6. And based upon where I lived, I was District 8, which at that point District 8 had included a portion of Frederick County down into Montgomery all the way into Silver Spring, uh, as well as a portion of Carroll County, um, now that they have redistrict um, and we have been reunited as District Six, as we probably should have been all along, um, you know mostly uh, western Maryland, Garrett, Allegheny, Washington, all of Frederick County, and then a small sliver of Northern Montgomery County, including the Gaithersburg Clarksburg area. Um, I think that at the end of the day, I think that um, There are some folks who are running that um, probably might be a little bit too on the social conservative bent um, for our folks in Montgomery County. And, of course, Frederick County is getting to be more purple than it was red. Um, So I think that having someone who is a little bit more lax in certain policies, especially around, say, marijuana, for example, that is going to be a hot-button issue on the ballot this year for sure, um, I think that things like that are going to be uh, what separates me from other candidates.
1: And where do you stand on that hot button issue?
0: As far as marijuana, I stand on full legalization. Uh, as a funeral director and as a former firefighter and emergency medical technician, I have never encountered a patient who overdosed on marijuana. I've never encountered somebody who died. Of overdosing on marijuana however I have both buried as well as tended to on the ambulance folks who died of alcohol poisoning and keep in mind alcohol is fully legal The reality of it is if we go back in our history mind-altering substances have been used by human beings since the beginning of time the reality of it is at the end of the day we have to create regulation that creates responsible use of those and then criminalizes situations such as driving under the influence which we already have those laws on the book to make sure that people were making socially responsible decisions and punishing people for irresponsible behavior
1: that's an awesome answer and I'm not pro marijuana but I agree with you about the the differences it's a bit of a hypocrisy As I sit here and tell you, I'm headed to Big Cork Wineries later. Join me. Um, so, anybody out there, uh, but you know, yeah, if you can drink wine and you can be responsible about that, what would be the difference on the marijuana side? The one thing I will say is there's something to be responsible for about the money generated.
0: Absolutely. People
1: are making huge coin on marijuana. Now, I, I met a guy. I meet a lot of folks, right? So this guy's in security and his company is helping protect the transport just like somebody would a bank vaulted um vehicle. Right. You know, they're Absolutely. picking up deposits at the Safeway or the bank and they're moving money in these big armored vehicles. They're doing that with the with the I think the money and the marijuana. Correct. So it's huge money. It's like Fort Knox kind of money. And um, although Fort Knox might be a little depleted right now, but different issue, different show. But when you look at um, the the issues around marijuana, I think part of it is the some people are really having trouble getting uh, licensing rights. So it's kind of who do you know who's going to grease a palm to get you that license that's going to make you a gazillion dollars. So any thoughts about that?
0: Well, I think at the end of the day, much like other business licenses and whatever type of business you do, of course, as a business owner yourself, um, the business regulation climate throughout, especially here in Maryland, is absolutely horrible. Um, So the reality of it is what I feel we need to do is we need to look at licensing requirements that are actually fair and equitable and I don't believe that that should be based upon how many thousands of dollars you spend to grease palms. Um, I think it really comes down to we have pharmacies all throughout the united states so the reality of it is if we can license pharmacies and they carry harder drugs than marijuana i think that we can bring regulations in place to bring over-the-counter sales of marijuana to more communities and enabling more entrepreneurial opportunities in a responsible manner
1: that's brilliant love it i think that's great Rather than doling it out to their buddies. Well, you know, and that's, yeah. by the way, in the, in the liquor licensing laws in Maryland is very restrictive. Absolutely. Um, uh, this notion that, you know, you get dubbed the distributor of XYZ. Now, you know, there's, it's really hard to get in that game. And it's really whether you're trying to get a licensing uh, liquor license uh, to, to run at retail Right. Or restaurant, Absolutely. or you're distributing. Forget it, the distributorships are run by a, a small select few, and they make a gazillion dollars.
0: Absolutely. I think at the end of the day, too, something else for folks to think about is the, the amount of money that we spend on enforcement actions currently um, against marijuana. And drugs and the reality of it is if we can take something that is now currently illegal and we create a way and a regime to tax it to regulate it and ensure responsible social behavior we can overnight drop a big percentage of black market sales out and that takes money out of the cartels pocket so it actually makes it easier for law enforcement because now you don't have as many illegal actors selling a product
1: love the way you think That's brilliant. Why don't we take a quick break? That's a nice place to pause. And you're listening to Success Happens. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. And also, I want to let everybody know, Sweeties is hiring. If you have a young person who's looking for a great job experience from ages of 16 to 18... Uh, we've even hired as low as 15, but they just have to have the proper paperwork. But this is a great opportunity. It's a clean working environment, great work ethic uh, opportunity to really develop themselves for future opportunities. So reach out to me at Jennifer at Charlton Communications.com if you're interested. Jennifer at Charlton Communications.com. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen. And, you know, we were just talking, you know, off air that, you know, one of the things, and a shout out to a, a former guest and somebody I had the pleasure of working with at the Commission for Women is Deborah Borden. And Deborah is a, an attorney who uh, actually has been working on the uh, marijuana distribution sites from the retail from the real estate side so the retail real estate side where they are allocating licenses and and identifying appropriate real estate for such distribution sites so they wanted to be mindful of where they place them in the different communities which is a whole conversation about You know, are you influencing, is it a step-up drug, is it something where people start there and they end up in cocaine and heroin and so forth? Um, I don't think that, um, and, uh, you know, I'm not an expert on such things, but it's my understanding from the research and and conversations I've had that the... uh, the step up to heroin and cocaine is not marijuana; it's more like legalized over the uh, prescription drugs gone awry or people abusing those. So uh, it, it'd be an interesting conversation to really delve further into why um, or where you would place those to be, as you said, socially responsible. Let me ask you this: um, when you when you thought about running we talked about the platform of marijuana which i think is sure really interesting what other subject like if
0: i were picking your top two and i don't know is marijuana one of your top well i mean marijuana certainly in there, there there's uh, quite a plethora of, of topics to really address what are
1: your top two like well, the top two concerns you have that sure. voters could say okay he's my guy
0: well, of course, I think one of our big ones right now is crime. Um, addressing the crime across this country. It doesn't matter whether you're in a small town, uh, you know, suburbs, big city, uh, what have you. The assault uh, currently by the rabid Marxist left on law enforcement is absolutely atrocious and is contributing to... Rampant crime—the uh, cr- violent crimes, property crimes—are uh, skyrocketing through the roof, especially in our major metropolitan cities around this country. And it doesn't matter where you're from; I think that you should be able to travel and feel safe, whether you're at home or someplace else in the so United how,
1: States. So, how would you deal with that federally?
0: Well, you know, and that's that's a big question, too, because, of course, the idea of federalization of police is always something that a lot of folks talk about and the possible dangers of federalization Oh, my of gosh. Uh, yeah, it reminds um, me of China. Uh, yes. I mean, so I think at the end of the day, one of the big things that the federal government can step in and do um, is as far as the illegal immigration situation, the cartel situation, there are things that the federal government has an absolute obligation to take care of. It's national security issues. And a lot of those types of issues are impacting crime at the local level. So
1: how would you make a difference? Let's take the southern border, for example, because certainly a lot of bad actors are coming through the southern border. How would you um, shore that up?
0: Well, the reality of it is there's legislation has been in place for a number of years, all the way back to the Secure Fences Act, um, that has has the potential, um, if enforced to curb a lot of that illegal immigration, including you know secure fencing, making the wall things of that nature. Um, but I think it goes beyond that. obviously, there are certain areas where you 're not going to be able to put a fence or a wall or some type of physical barrier, so ensuring that there's funding there for you know the border patrol um, in adequate numbers, ensuring that the technological advances are there. Um, and also, too, p- potentially providing military assistance to the Border Patrol because obviously that is a national security issue and we could task the United States military uh, to assist with some of those patrols as well.
1: Yeah, and they sent some of the, like, the Texas um, – <coughs> pardon me, the Texas uh, you know, State uh, national, Mil- Guard. national Guard yes. has been sent in and that's helped. But so if you look at Montgomery County, for example, I sure. grew up in Bethesda know it well uh, for people who are dealing with local law enforcement issues sure. and it, let, let's take even some of the communities where crime is more prevalent than others not to say it doesn't happen right. in certain communities but it tends to be more prevalent in others in those communities where you have higher crime rates and I'm thinking of Baltimore City Chicago
0: absolutely you know sure. you
1: might have some of these issues in downtown Silver Spring uh, upper Montgomery County Rockville I don't know um, Rockville may be less only because you got a lot of police and courthouses yes, there, kind of kind of steering people the other direction but but in the case of those local communities sure they want law enforcement absolutely even though it may be somebody within that community who's doing the bad acts I mean I remember it being at an event in Baltimore City with um, Marilyn Mosby and her team, the director I was working for. And we were at a public event, and there were people, they said, See something, say something. Well, they're afraid to say something because they know who the bad actor is. Absolutely. He lives down the street and they don't want to get killed. Absolutely. So there's a real fear within these communities to speak up sure. because they've been threatened absolutely so how do we deal with that because yes you're running for Congress that's a federal issue but law enforcement in the communities is a very local thing and yes. these very communities sorry the bad actors within those communities are demonizing the law enforcement who are there to protect them it and none of it makes any sense it's it, it, crazy it is talk.
0: absolutely backwards logic I think at the end of the day Um, You know, when we have these folks who are criticizing law enforcement in this way and they're not stepping up to uh, participate in law enforcement, meaning we're not recruiting from those communities, those local communities um, to get police officers, it does make it difficult, you know, especially in the equity department um, to see police departments that looks like the, the communities that they serve. So I think that there needs to be some type of nationwide effort by you know various law enforcement uh, groups out there be a Fraternal Order of Police or the National Police Chiefs Associations to try to bring in um, the folks the proper folks that um, could address some of those issues in the communities
1: however one of the big things and I've talked to Chuck Jenkins about it on Sheriff Chuck um, problem is you've got to have people who qualify to be hired Yes. So there's a couple – I'll take issue with something you said about um, that it has to come from within the community. If on one hand we're not racist, if on one hand we don't care what somebody's religion or, uh, or ethnic background is, if that doesn't matter, then why does it matter that they have to reflect the people they serve? Maybe it doesn't matter. If I'm, I'm white and I'm a, an officer in a black community, right. I'm there to serve the black community and to each and every individual. And it should make no difference what I look like or, frankly, what I sound like if I've got an accent or whatever.
0: Sure, absolutely. and I, And I agree with that. The issue becomes is the detractors on the opposite side of the anti-police rhetoric are the exact same folks who will stand there and tell you, well, all these police officers, for example, are— white or black, Hispanic, whatever the... So therefore, they're racist. So therefore, they're racist. So the idea of trying to recruit from the communities that are saying this, hey, please step up to the plate and help us out here. I think there needs to be more of an outreach effort there. Um, You know, obviously funding goes a long way from a federal perspective. That's probably one of the biggest ways that we can help our police departments throughout the United States is funding, ensuring that they have the proper equipment. Because at the end of the day, national security starts on a local level. So if we can ensure that our local police departments are properly staffed and properly funded, a lot of the issues that we face nationally will be dealt with locally.
1: Well, and it is interesting because people vote with their feet. So, as just as in Maryland, we've had a mass exodus out of Maryland. I know so many people who have flown south and they're staying to, in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, sure. North Carolina. We're losing people in Maryland because of the policies of this administration and the legislature. Absolutely. But, well, and... In Seattle and Portland some of these towns where they have defunded the police likewise they are seeing people moving out New Absolutely. York moving out so at what point does the federal issue of funding police authority uh, to make sure that we're kept safe which is one of the fundamental things uh, of a society of a civil society is that we can be safe in our homes Mm -hmm. and in the shopping centers and so forth at what point does that um, I'm gonna call it left progressive really left progressive get undone because right now what we're looking at is is people are suffering and I think right now this is a good opportunity to take a break but let's let everybody kind of ponder that because we're in a conundrum right now people you know we we don't they don't want to fund the police so now all of a sudden they want to refund the police make up your bloody minds because in the process people are dying and they're going broke and their businesses are being crushed and they have no you know wherewithal to put money in their tank to get to work so it's ugly out there right now and the Congre- I've always said federal issues are local issues. They really are. Federal issues are local issues. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Success Happens on Free Talk 930 WFMD. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and it's great to be here today with Colt Black, who is a congressional candidate for Maryland's 6th Congressional District. And... Um, you know, and a business owner owns a, a business, Black's Funeral Home in Sibyllisville, and an online, Acacia. I don't quite understand that, but, you know, how do you get cremated online? That's an that's interesting nuance
0: yes yes it is so real quick to clarify the Acacia Society basically we hold another funeral establishment license Um, just like Amazon you come on the website you order your cremation or your burial Um, we never see in person other than for pickup of cremated remains or if you're having a funeral and that's it Um, it makes it very simple it eliminates the arrangement process and makes our overhead much much cheaper allowing for uh, affordable prices for those that need them
1: oh beautiful okay so back to the issues of um, what we're dealing with federally. We started to kind of set that up. Do you have any thoughts about what we were talking about in terms of local law enforcement and financing and funding of police?
0: And this? Sure. So, I mean, I, I think some of the critical issues also come back to uh, constitutional issues that we hear echoed on both the anti-police side as well as the libertarian uh, side of things as well and there are concerns within um, and rights to be concerned because obviously uh, police forces is a monopoly one force uh... by the government so i think that there is a balance that we need to make sure is being struck um, so the constitutional rights are being respected um, but you know for example the uh... uh federal government was had a surplus program of military equipment that was being given to law enforcement, ballistic vests, things like that. It really wasn't weaponry, um, but there was a big push out there by anti-police folks, as well as some on the libertarian side of things, that was stating that this equipment was militarizing the police. The reality of it was it was actually making things more affordable for local law enforcement, that your local tax dollars wasn't going out to purchase these items brand new. Um, Yeah,
1: we call that redistribution of resources. I mean, shared resources in government. That's ridiculous to say you can't use other entities that uh, resources it's
0: right it, it, it absolutely is full hearted but those are some of the policies that federally um, would help local law enforcement if we were to reimplement um, those types of uh, surpluses being able to be put out to local state law enforcement agencies that would help reduce their cost in the budget and also at the end of the day protect the citizens and protect the police officers
1: okay so what's another uh, platform item for you that you feel strongly about?
0: Well, I would have to say government overreach into the citizens' lives. I mean, of course, you know, and this is nothing new. Um, This is something that probably every, you know, Republican candidate since I was born, uh, going back to Ronald Reagan, has touted. But the reality of it is, is that we have year by year seen the gradual erosion of our constitutionally protected rights. Some of those erosions has been in the name of security. Um, of course, we had some of our biggest erosions after 9-11 uh, with the implementation of the Patriot Act. Um, the reality of it is, is we have, as a society, accepted a lot of those um, For security but the reality of it is that is a very dangerous and slippery slope that we're on and that is part of the reason why we are in the shape that we are today
1: so it sounds like to me you are hard and fast a constitutionalist is that accurate
0: yes that is correct
1: yeah that's wonderful well um, let's talk a little bit about your business and where it intersects with politics you know success happens blending business and politics uh, evolved out of, the, out of the idea and the reality that I became faced with that nothing happens in business that isn't impacted by policy and, and practiced by politicians. Absolutely. And we as business owners can absolutely drive policy. So they do intersect. When you look at your business, we've just gone through COVID. One sure. of the primary concerns I've had and it became apparent to me through research and conversation that there was a disconnect between what the medical community was declaring mm-hmm. about that death and the, what we now call, I guess, death certificates at the funeral home, what they called was the source of it. Can you clear that up for us? Because I think a lot of people are confused, and, and frankly, we there's a lot of mistrust, not a necessarily of doctors, although there are some bad actors out there, like sure, in every absolutely, business. Absolutely. The medical boards and the agencies like CDC, sure. uh, FDA, and so forth are driving a lot of what's going on right now. And it's it's cr- increased fear.
0: Absolutely. And it
1: has stripped us of our rights and liberties.
0: Absolutely.
1: So speak to us about that, please.
0: Sure. So, I mean, as far as uh, my business and my intersection with death... <clears throat> Reporting and things like that is concerned. Um, you know when you we receive a death certificate. It will have to be signed by a doctor or the coroner the medical examiner, depending on the jurisdiction you're in. If you're in Maryland, the medical examiner signs for investigatable deaths. corner coroner would sign in Pennsylvania, for example. Um, the reality of it is our portion of the death certificate as a funeral home is related to statistical data, so things like Social Security numbers, places of birth, things of that nature. The medical data is compiled by, like I said, physician or medical examiner, corner. coroner. Now, that being said, when you look at a death certificate, there's a couple things to keep in mind. You have the immediate causes of death in line A through D on a death certificate. And death certificates are pretty much standardized by the Centers for Disease Control throughout the 50 United States. So the reality of it is lines A through D, and depending on how the death certificates laid out, whatever numbered block that is on the physician's part of the death certificate, is the actual immediate causes of death. Now, what's interesting about this space on a death certificate if we was to actually break the numbers down and say how many deaths would have occurred without COVID being a factor, for example, somebody who is on hospice and has stage four terminal kidney cancer um, winds up line A first cause with kidney cancer and line B COVID-19. Well, In other
1: words, they died with COVID.
0: They died with COVID. That doesn't necessarily mean that they died from COVID. And there's actually two different data stats out by the CDC that shows this type of information to the general public. It's out there for you to find. The reality of it is there is a difference between somebody who has died from COVID, meaning that that is the actual cause of their death, versus someone who just happened to test positive for it and was on the outs anyway. And I think that the numbers that we see statistically that was being published by most of the mainstream media was the numbers that actually was people both dying with covid meaning being diagnosed but not necessarily dying from as well as people who died actually from complications of covid
1: well there's a couple things we know that this the can't for example cancer rates are off the charts right now so what covid did is suppress the immune system so that those things that were lurking came back raging, right? So there's been a off the charts rise in in um, uh, and they call it comorbidities. But you know, if somebody has a heart condition, or in my case, I've got high blood pressure, right? So, so whatever that underlying thing is that you're being treated for and you live with it every day, sure, uh, became an issue with COVID now there's it's it's it, we need to get to the bottom of the truth and and you know now they're trying to show us that there's going to be another you know this whole thing in China, please forgive me, but you know what a bunch of nonsense right <laughs> so we're not doing that here again i'm right. crystal clear about that. I own a gym, I will hear it here. I will never ask my my clients to mask up again it will never be a requirement from me as a business owner so whether or not that hauls me off to jail well i'll deal with that at the time so you in your business how do we reconcile how can we as consumers of information better understand that data so that we're dealing with truth not Uh, disinformation
0: sure well I'd like to revisit your thought on the cancer situation with suppression of the immune system now I we could get into the conspiracy theories and whether or not those are legitimate or or not about the vaccines and things like that I'm not really here to uh, address that today but as far as the cancer situation for example you had two years of delayed testing two years of people that maybe already was diagnosed but not getting treatment. You have surgeries, all kinds of different surgeries that were considered non-essential, that was put off completely, testing that was put off completely. You couldn't get in to see your doctor. I think what we are seeing here is a result, a direct result of the absolute ignorant policies that was put in place by our federal government – and as a result we are seeing citizens needlessly die because they did not receive proper medical care during the covid pandemic because well we can't spare a ventilator to put you through an endoscopic exam for an example and now you have someone who has throat cancer stage four well of course you do it was two years ago you should have been diagnosed at stage one so i think that that's more of where we are um, with that is delayed diagnoses, delayed treatments versus some type of conspiratorial uh, weakening of the immune system by COVID.
1: Well, it's not conspiratorial. I mean, medical professionals have said that it weakens the immune system, That's that it suppresses the immune system. But I don't disagree with your notion that, you know, two years of delayed access to care well. is going to have a, a huge impact.
0: Well, and just to, and saying conspiratorial, I mean more or less along the lines that it, this virus was some type of um, attack if you will on the populace I don't necessarily fully buy into that um, and there's a lot of folks that believe along the lines that the disease was released in some manner to create a weakening of the immune system I you know I, I'm not here to debate that but um, you well know. there
1: that's a show for another day sure. But yeah I mean medical professionals have come on here and absolutely subscribe to that but but um, but when we look at this so so I'm with you on you know the the idea that people let go of themselves and their care sure but back to what you do for a living sure when you if you were to scan and I don't know if you've done this be an interesting exercise if you haven't the death certificates without obviously breaching any privacy sure but looking across them what would you Understand from viewing them. What would you? Well, how would it be different today versus five years ago?
0: Well, I mean, as it relates to the COVID, or just generally.
1: Yeah, I mean, do you see anything that kind of red flags something and says, "Wow, that's other than what you just said about right. the well, Right. Well, well, I
0: think, for example, um, you know, taking a, a minute to address the COVID situation. When we initially started with the COVID pandemic, if you will. Um, We were seeing the leading cause of death in line A on the death certificate as pneumonia, typically. So what does that mean to me as a funeral director? Well, as we get into flu season every winter, the reality of it is we normally will see influenza, line B, and pneumonia is the actual killer of most folks who are immunocompromised in nursing homes that are at high risk of death and dying, right? So the reality of it is, is what i really think occurred is you had a maybe a more virulent type of bug but at the end of the day the pneumonia is actually what did everybody in it's much did like Did you see an cancer. increase
1: did you see an increase in the pneumonia cases relative to what you would have a couple of years prior
0: Oh, yes. It was definitely an increase in pneumonia cases because that, you know, COVID pneumonia was, is how they would would word that. So pneumonia, COVID. But, yeah, they would call it COVID pneumonia that that killed the person ultimately.
1: And so there were increases in overall cases of pneumonia. Yes. Got that. It was, there was a, a point at which we looked at the death rates and those death rates had not significantly climbed relative to prior years. Sure. Is that still accurate, have, or have you seen a larger number? Listen, we know, and this is the next question for sure. you. Ready? Sure. What's our time? Let me check. Do we need a break? Um, we know that there are negative impacts and um, devastating uh, medical conditions that are arising out of taking the vaccine. Sure. We know that. Mm-hmm. We don't know how much because they've been scrubbing the data at the CDC. So we know that. So when you look at it, do you ever see that anything come through that would be a result of dying from the vax?
0: So not not personally on a death certificate and that's and I will tell you that is very strategic Um, my father-in-law was an investigator for the Maryland State Medical Examiner's Office and he was there during the height of the COVID vaccination uh, efforts and I can tell you firsthand from his testimony and being around the State Medical Examiner's Office in my professional capacity that there were multiple calls to the State Medical Examiner's Office by both law enforcement and family physicians stating that we have somebody that's taken a vaccine within the last two weeks perfectly healthy and have dropped dead and the family physicians now telling us we're not signing the death certificate that is a legally obligated case under Maryland law to be investigated by the medical examiner's office, and when the low-level investigators would put this up to the pathologist, it was being swept under the rug. They did not want to deal with it.
1: Who was sweeping it under the rug? The
0: forensic pathologist at the Maryland State Medical Examiner's Office. They would not take the cases of people who were recently vaxxed and had no other underlying health conditions. They were pretty much forcibly making family doctors sign death certificates.
1: So one of the things they did, they being the I'm going to call it. Ready? Here it is. Evildoers at the federal agencies who said that we're not going to consider them vaxxed if it's within two weeks of the poke. Well, if you die two days after or three days after or one week after you've had the poke because it, it causes something in you, you died from the damn thing. That's what happened. Okay, we're going to take a quick quick break. You're listening to Success Happens on Free Talk 930 WFMD. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek, we're scooping now, and uh, Flamingo Pool Supply. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Colt Black, who's a first-time candidate for Maryland's 6th Congressional District, and he owns Black's Funeral Home of Sevilleville, and he is an expert. In all things related to one's passing and 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 how all of that gets recorded, you said something to me off air, and I want you to say it here. You said you were willing to tell me about um, the what what's happening at the CDC and what was going on a little bit further about your is it your father in law? My father in law, yes. Okay, yes. please.
0: So you know, there obviously, if you have a death that is of an undetermined nature, and it's dictated under COMAR here in the state of Maryland, what those circumstances are. Uh, one of those circumstances, is a physician who is unwilling to sign a death certificate, um, and there was cases. Why no-
1: would they be unwilling to sign?
0: Uh, They would be unwilling to sign basically because they believe the person to be otherwise healthy um, or have no real knowledge of any medical issue that that person had. Um, So that's typically why a physician would refuse to sign a death certificate or possibly they hadn't seen the patient uh, for a while. But the reality of it is my father-in-law being an investigator uh, over at the state medical examiner's office during the height of the vaccination efforts – His office there was receiving numerous calls a day from both law enforcement reporting a death as well as family physicians frantic saying, hey, you know, we have a patient that's passed. We have no idea, you know, why they died, but they did receive the COVID-19 vaccine in the last, you know, two weeks or five days or whatever it was
1: within that two-week period
0: within that two-week period and you know we don't really know why they died we're uncomfortable signing the death certificate that should make that an immediate state medical examiner's case however um, my father-in-law was instructed not to accept any of those cases and in essence the maryland state medical examiner's office was forcing family physicians to in essence lie on death certificates who do
1: you think would have instructed them to do that because they didn't do that in a vacuum somebody told them to do that
0: well i mean i think at the end end of the day, you know, um, the old saying, crap rolls downhill. I mean, you have to look to the top, and that would be the federal government, and I would have to assume probably somebody within the CDC.
1: But if it's the Maryland State uh, Medical Examiner's Office, who do those people report to?
0: Well, all of your death statistics are reported to the CDC. No,
1: who do they report to as a line of authority?
0: Line of authority, that would be to the Secretary of Department of Health, Mental Hygiene, and, and the state government.
1: There it is. There it is. Secretary Schrader? Yes. Yes. There it is. So, isn't that interesting? We can't be telling that story, can we? That people might not. actually. We, listen, we know law enforcement officers, uh, uh, first responders, military, the, the death rates are way up right now. So, the people who have taken this thing, who are otherwise healthy, are dropping. Now, I don't know Kenny Olander, but I know people who knew him very, very well who passed as a, as a uh, police officer. A shout out to his family. And we are so sorry for your loss and for all those who have passed. There was another gentleman, I don't know if he was uh, vaxxed, but the point is if we're not telling the story within two weeks of those negative outcomes of taking that jab especially with people who are immune compromised, it is a risk. Um, you're seeing the higher blood clots. We know that's happening. So, um, and the peri- periocarditis. So myocarditis. So all of these things are real concerns. And people, you need to take charge of your own health. And don't be an okie-doke. You know, okidoke, doke I'll take it, okie-doke. And then you've unfortunately succumb to something that would not have necessarily needed to happen. So there's, that's very disturbing what you just shared. And I think that some investigation needs to occur at the department of health and, and through this office, what's the office again,
0: it would be the office of the chief medical examiners.
1: Yeah. We need to be looking into what the heck is going on in the state of Maryland. That is, that is, altering the real statistics of what has been occurring to our friends and family and neighbors. So, thank you for being here. I wish you well in your candidacy. Again, we have Colt Black who's candidate for Maryland's 6th congressional district. It's an interesting district. Fortunately, they've realigned it. I agree with you that bringing Frederick County together makes a lot of sense with Western Maryland. Why they had to shove a little bit of Northern Montgomery in there, oh well. But (laughs) I will say this to my friends and family and so forth in Montgomery County. I know there's some conservatives down there, and y'all are afraid to come out of the closet, but it's time. It's time to rise up and say, I'm a conservative and proud of it.
0: Absolutely. Right. We we need every vote counts.
1: Every vote counts. And we also need people to be election judges. And we were at an event the other night where they were talking with the new election board. And we'll have her uh, lead. We'll have her on here. But guys, get involved. You got to participate in the election process. If we're going to keep this thing clean, we got to be watching the voter boxes where they're dumping them. We got to watch The voter uh, uh, polls and and be involved in in that process, particularly in the liberal districts so that we're going out there and participating side by side with our fellow Democrats in this great political process. Uh, Here, So thank you, everybody. Listen, have a great week. You've been listening to Success Happens. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. Dianovich & Associates and Flamingo Pool Supplies next Saturday morning, 9 a.m., right here. Bye-bye.